Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian. And once again, we must stare into the abyss as it stares back at us. What does it mean? Is it all nothingness or is it the great beyond? We will never know. But here we are looking at one instance where maybe it is something. I I knew that that was coming. I'm excited. We, ha- we have had so many good opportunities already this season for impressions from Jason. <laughs> So. And I've and I've uh, I've you know held back. I could have done a lot more Dreyfus, you, you know. Could but, have, uh, and and I would uh, have been okay with it, really. But yeah. uh, we're we're here to do some Herzog impressions. No, we're here to talk about the films of 1975 and to talk about our Cannes Film Festival winner, which is Werner Herzog's The Enigma of Kaspar Hauser. Uh, as we do some years, we are not talking about the Palme d'Or winner from Cannes which is a film that was uh, kind of obscure and difficult for us to, to find. I don't know if it's, really, if it's really available to watch anywhere. So we're looking at a movie instead that won. Josh, uh, what is the name of the movie that was so obscure that you didn't even mention it? Yeah, it's a film called Chronicle of the Years of Fire about uh, the war in Algiers and was also mm. the Algerian entry for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, although it was not nominated. And yeah, I mean, we we try usually to steer away from stuff that is so obscure that we might not really have anything to to say about it. It's also three hours long, but I think the main thing was it's not streaming. It's not available for digital rental. It's not available on DVD. I'm not sure how we would have even seen it. So we decided to pivot to a film that won three other awards at the festival in 1975, including the Grand Prix, which is essentially second place. And it also won the Fipreski Prize, which is an award given out by an organization of film critics, and the prize of the Ecumenical Jury, which has weirdly come up in multiple can episodes we've done, which is an award given out by a religious group for films that yeah, deal with Christian. religious themes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've talked about the Fipreski Prize before. Look, we're going to hit a lot of, uh, you know, things we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about Bruno S. before. We've talked about Werner Herzog before, Josh. So, uh, you know, we're going to just autopilot through this episode. We're going to try not to do that. <laughs> it's not like it's a Rob Reiner episode. Come on, Jason. Uh, well, when we get to a different film, uh, can year, then we'll get there again. Yes. So we have talked about in our 1977 season, another Herzog film starring Bruno S. Strosek. And this is the first film that Herzog and Bruno S. worked on together. And in fact, Herzog saw, I believe, as a documentary about the life of Bruno S. and decided this is the person that I must cast in my film about Caspar Hauser. It doesn't matter that in real life, Caspar Hauser was 17 when he was discovered in the town square in Nuremberg, and Bruno S. was 41 when he made this film. He's the only guy for the role. And I have to say, maybe he was right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, he he caught something spiritually there. But that documentary is called Bruno the Black. One day a hunter blew his horn. That is quite a title. Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, I it mean, feels very German. It does. It does indeed. <laughs> and and I mean, part of the reason that that Herzog wanted Bruno S is because he's sort of 
his life parallels Casper Hauser's in some way in that he's this sort of man adrift and he's discovered not living in the wild, but almost apart from civilization or whatever. And Casper Hauser was a real person who was discovered in the town of Nuremberg uh, when he was 17 years old and was unable in to... In the mid-1800s. Yes, it's uh, 1828 is the year that this movie takes place. And that was when he was discovered uh, with this note. And a lot of the details in the film, in Herzog's film, are actually historically accurate. You would think Herzog, you know, even in his documentaries, he always has that idea of like uh, ecstatic truth and that that's more important than fidelity to facts or whatever. But there's there's quite a lot of of real information in this film. And uh, Josh, I just want to also mention, we did see Werner Herzog eat his own shoe. And as we discussed, 1980, Les Blank film. So, yes. Uh, is there anything this man can't do? I'm sure there is some like make a Fast and Furious movie or something like that. I think he could do it. Yeah, he could do it. I mean, there was some good action in Rescue Dawn. Come on, man. Sure. All right. I stand corrected. There's nothing that Herzog cannot do. And and. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He stumped you, Josh. Uh, You stumped me. I don't know. I don't know. I I should bow bow to Herzog and not uh, not acknowledge any flaws. Uh, well, no, I mean, look, he's just so interesting as a human being, right? That like he's taking on this kind of pop cultural lore, as we've talked about. But let's focus on this film. Here, right. Josh. And this is kind of before that period. You know, he, he's this is a narrative film. He's not in the film. He doesn't narrate it or anything. Although I will say there's that quote at the beginning uh, that comes from uh, uh, it's not from Herzog himself, but it's about have you, you know, something like have you ever heard the the silent the scream that mankind calls silence or something like that and i just as soon as that came up on screen i imagined hearing that in herzog's voice have you ever heard the scream that mankind calls silence exactly something like that i should have written down the exact quote <laughs> so this movie also like that algerian film was submitted to the oscars it was the official oscar submission from west germany but it was not nominated for a foreign language film oscar It did win a couple awards at the German Film Awards for its editing and for its scene design. And, you know, speaking of Herzog and his his outlook on life, we call this movie The Enigma of Caspar Hauser. It was also released in the U.S. as The Mystery of Caspar Hauser. But the original title, the translation of the German title is Every Man for Himself and God Against All. (laughs) Hell yeah, that's goth. Oh, man, that sounds like a Craig Zoller film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's something now that, of course, Herzog would get to keep that title, but not uh, when he was Nicholas Winding Refn or someone like that. Yeah, so I'm deep cutting today, boys, on these uh, filmmaker references. Yeah, so. those are those are both good references, though. I feel like that's, uh, you know, something that that now uh, some serious uh, European art film auteur or whatever would get to keep that title but not. yeah I, I know you know and we we kind of like went into this like knowing what the movie was about but not seeing the not having seen it before and it was like you know you got Herzog and you got that title and David saw seen it before me and he said I was gonna hate it I found it a little more hopeful than uh I think uh we had at once uh, thought yeah I kind of thought that too based on what Dave had said that this would be a movie about this pure, simple guy who's just destroyed by society. And that's not what it is. I mean, he is kind of destroyed, although a lot of that destruction maybe comes from himself. 
But society is kinder to him than I would have imagined it might be from the description and from Herzog's sort of reputation. Maybe I was just thinking about that title. <laughs> I mean, he was literally the story goes that for seven, the first 17 years of his life, he was captive, I guess, in like a barn or a loft or something. He never saw other people. There was like a man who I guess took care of him. But did he take was it his dad? Did he hold him hostage? Like, what the heck? He didn't have any kind of acclimation to the real world. So I feel like society uh, did much better than that. Right. They did much better than his captor, who claims at least, right, that it was not his father, but that he was sort of charged with taking care of this child when the kid was was a, uh, an infant. And, and he said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I'm going to lock him in a room. That's what I'll do with this kid that you've given. And, him. and even in that first act where you see him in the captor, which, by the way, what a low bar. Can you do better than the person holding you captive uh, for 17 years? Right. right? So, but uh, like even that guy, like neglectful. Yes. But like he wasn't like the mean, like horrible, like bad guy in a horror movie or silent. You know, he wasn't Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. He was just uh, he just should have had no right to raise a child, let's say. Yeah. I mean, he did chain the guy to a floor so well that's bad i don't yes. remember you know there's a, maybe i blocked those that part out there so and he know. does murder him later probably so but we'll get, even worse yeah. even worse <laughs> we'll, we'll get to so, that though so i'll take back those things i said uh, but i did say in act one he yes. doesn't come off as like the worst person right right it isn't a movie about like someone who's been tortured and then has escaped or whatever it's it's i think it's meant to be a mystery, an enigma, if you will, as to why mm. he was held captive this way and why he was released. And I don't, I mean, I think we know why he was released, but I don't really think we ever know why he was, why any of this happened. No. But I guess that's the point of a Herzog movie. Indeed. So uh, critics at the time were mostly positive and, and slightly baffled, which sounds about right for a Herzog film. Uh, Richard Eder in the New York Times said, Werner Herzog is a young German director with a rapidly growing reputation in Europe and, as yet, not much of a name here. Every Man for Himself, which won this year's Grand Jury Prize at the Cannes Film Festival, should change that. Mr. Herzog does not deal with small corners of reality. He riddles with universals. Every Man is a superb movie because Mr. Herzog has managed to treat the fable in stunning human and dramatic terms. He has done so in large part through his use of a man identified only as Bruno S. He is not a professional actor, and he has spent some time in mental institutions, as Casper. There is more than acting. There is a total, magical immersion of Bruno in the man who arrives in the world as a stranger, takes it in, tries to grasp it, judges it, and is removed from it. Yeah, Bruno is like, he's, he is very captivating, right? Like, yeah. whatever you think of him as a performer like you just like want to keep watching him yeah i found him more fascinating even though you know we talked about strosek and that after herzog kind of got to know bruno a little more and had worked with him that is a movie where a lot of the details are actually inspired by bruno's own life and so he's sort of playing himself in a way but i found him really more fascinating in this movie where he's playing a character who maybe shares some traits with him but 
just the way he he carries himself, the way he looks, the way he is like he seems to almost never blink. His eyes are always open, and 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 the way that he has to be kind of like propped up, like he's a like a, a what is a one of those dolls that can't fall over or whatever, but he's always teetering. I like I just, a ventriloquist it, dummy, not a ventriloquist dummy, but uh, uh, you know one of those things that has like a like a weighted base, so you can you can kind of try to push it over and it just pops right back up. The boxing guys that you like, you hit him and he bounces back and bounces forward again. Yeah, something like that. Um, I also liked his emphasis <laughs> in expressing his words. <laughs> you know, I expected a Herzog impression. I did not expect a Bruno S impression. I love it. <laughs> I don't know if I expected it either, but I think that was uh, at least cadence-wise not not too inaccurate there. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I think he really conveys that, and also, you know, even after time has passed, you know, there's this like two-year time jump at one point in this film where Casper has spent more time among people and has learned more, and he can talk. He can speak better, but he still has that weird pattern like you're describing there or just this strange way of understanding the world that that sticks with him. And and it's fascinating. How could you not uh, given what he's gone through? Yes. So uh, Stephen Schiff in the Boston Phoenix was also uh, pretty positive. He said, Werner Herzog's The Mystery of Caspar Hauser with its evocative rendering of early 19th century Nuremberg and its remarkable star, the schizophrenic Bruno S., casts a spell not easily broken. Though the theme is familiar, Herzog's approach is new. Dispensing with narrative conventions, he relies instead upon the resonant image, the telling montage. Yet this is a light film, imbued with a visionary serenity, rich with incident and humor, and alive with Casper's own wonder at the myriad beauties and terrors of the world. Herzog transports us into Casper's consciousness, and his explorations there call our own knowledge into question. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. You know, when you think of Strozek, like it was as crazy as like we wanted a Herzog movie to be, right? Right. But this one like really has um, a finesse to it and a humanity to it and like, you know, certain things that we think might go against the, the, the myth of Herzog, right? But like, it's really like um, a, a really interesting character portrait done with like real sensitivity. Yeah, I found this, I think I like this more than Strosek in part because yes, you're right that Strosek is maybe more of what you expect from Herzog and the like, what a bunch of crazy shit. But it felt like a lot of that movie was like, what a bunch of random shit that, that just kind of is haphazard. And this movie had a, a more streamlined focus and and a, a, a sort of clearer theme in terms of Casper and the way he saw the world. I think I liked it a little more. Um, you know, you did mention that it won an award at the German um, Film Awards for like scene design, I guess. Yeah, but, um, which I guess is like production design. I'm not sure. Yeah. So let's call it production design. Really took you to that time and place. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, whether it's, you know, the whatever town he was able to find, um, it's, uh, in fact, I think I'm about to say the name of that town in the next review <laughs> and butcher it. But yeah, it, it really does immerse you in that, in that period and in the way that people viewed the world. So finally, uh, Pauline Kael in The New Yorker was a little more mixed. She said, Werner Herzog has achieved a visionary overcast style. The higgledy-piggledy pink and blue roofs of the town of Dinkelsbühl, where the mystery of Casper Hauser was shot, 
suggests the world of a German primitive painter or of an awkward, self-taught puppeteer who has gone a little haywire. Herzog is a film poet, but he's a didactic poet, and what he has to say is extremely fashionable right now. The film says that society stultifies you under the guise of civilizing you, and that education destroys your innocent true perceptions. In Herzog's dedication to film art, he denies us the simple pleasures of story involvement, of suspense, of interest in the people on the screen, of sexuality. His goodness saps our strength. I mean, if we were giving awards for all-time sentences in a review, Josh, <laughs> uh-huh. that 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 wins it right there. Give it, give it to us again. Yeah, which uh, you just want me to say higgledy piggledy again? Is that what you're, <laughs> that, you're trying? So. To I mean, do? that whole that whole sentence, like just bam, 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 bam. Yeah, right? no, she's very the- she's very good. I know her reviews are so long; it's always hard to kind of boil them down. So I, I think I, you know, I did my best to get at the points that she's trying to make. But, but read that. Just read that. Okay, yeah, sure. I, <laughs> Werner Herzog has achieved a visionary a overcast style. The higgledy piggledy pink and blue roofs of the town of Dinkelsbuhl, where the mystery of Caspar Hauser was shot, suggests the world of a German primitive painter or of an awkward self-taught puppeteer who has gone a little haywire. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. That's that's a perfect sentence for Werner Herzog. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's, he would probably agree, maybe not with her later assessment, but with that he's evoking things like that, you know, almost like outsider art. I mean, that's what Caspar Hauser is. And he wants to give that impression within the film. Yeah, I think uh, outsider art is a really good um, way to look at this. And in a way, I was kind of reminded of those early Jim Jarmusch movies of the 80s. Like if you look at, um, you know, I mean, this kind of fits into new Hollywood, but in like, you know, the outsider way. But also like you could see how this would influence that American independent film movement in the 80s. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that. And and Bruno S, the equivalent in a way of, you know, casting like a punk rock musician or something. Well, John Laurie, right? Yeah. Isn't that who he always used to cast? And like, he's just another crazy, interesting character who had like a painting show on like IFC for two seasons in the early 90s. Yeah, and, now doesn't he have a know. fishing show on uh, HBO now, I think? Uh, it might be reversed. It might have been a fishing show then and a painting okay, show now. Okay, yeah, yeah, that sounds uh, about right. But that, but that would be like, and he was a musician and every, or is a musician. That's a good equivalent to like uh, casting a Bruno S. Right, a Bruno S who was also a musician and a painter. So yeah, he should have had his own HBO Max show, Bruno S. That would have been- I amazing. will <laughs> succeed. Logan Roy? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that wasn't the one I was thinking of, but sure, put him on all the HBO shows. Why not? Uh, so I know we're we're all big Herzog fans, but I think none of us had seen this movie before, right, Jason? I never even heard of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had heard of it as one of his, you know, uh, more notable films, but had not, I had not seen it. I haven't seen, I think, as many of his fiction films as, as his uh, documentaries, but Dave, had you seen this? No, uh, uh-uh. yeah, and as as we said, you you kind of watched this a little early and 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 gave us these warnings, but but I think we were all pretty pretty fascinated by it. Yeah, absolutely. I did not like it. I uh, I, I thought it was really good. I just uh, I think I read it a little darker than you guys. Yeah, I, I like I said, I was expecting that that darkness, and I, I found that there was actually some. I mean, it's definitely uh, harsh at times, but I think there was more optimism in there than I was expecting. So uh, anything else you want to mention on the background of this film, Jason? 
Uh, Josh, to perform in the scene where Casper learns to walk, Bruno S. knelt for three hours with a stick behind his knees until his legs were too numb to stand. Why not? That's dedication right there. <laughs> and then right. Herzog was like, what are you doing? We have a scene to shoot. And it was just what he was doing for fun, maybe. Right. Well, there was like, there are those stories of like, I went to the hotel to find Bruno. And instead of sleeping in his bed, he was on the floor by the door. Yeah. Herzog, you know, between Bruno and people like Klaus Kinski, he's definitely finding challenges for himself in terms of his collaborators. But, you know, one would expect nothing less from, from Werner Herzog. Says the man who wanted to pull a entire ship over a mountain in the Amazon. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll come back and talk more of our general thoughts on the enigma of Casper Hauser. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1975, we are talking about Cannes Film Festival award winner, The Enigma of Casper Hauser. And as we're saying, I think we all we all like this to, to varying degrees, at least. Maybe not the best of Herzog or our favorite Herzog, but a lot of fascinating stuff going on in this film. What I thought, you know, you see... You see movies like this where it's like, oh, here's an here's a person who's an object of fascination, right? And I use the word object because they objectify him. But like I thought like this town like really tried, whether right or wrong, to like ingratiate Bruno into their lives and like, you know, give him a better life than he had. And I was like happy about that. Right. As opposed to just like, haha, look at the freak, you know, or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of that. Sure. Yeah. But I but I think you're right that within the context of some 19th century small German town with the knowledge that they have and the resources that they have, they're doing what they feel like is best for him. And they don't treat him poorly. I mean, he is kind of in a in a cell when he first arrives. They put him in like, which is what I guess is like a jail cell, but he seems free to come and go and he has visitors and and they try to figure out the best place for him. And then eventually he goes to live with this, uh, the Professor Dalmer, who, who treats him quite well, I think. You know, for the most part, people seem to be nice to him. Yeah, I, if I'm not mistaken, because I thought that uh, actor was good who played Dalmer. Yeah. And um, then I read that he had been a Nazi sympathizer and I wasn't too thrilled about that. Yeah, that's not great, but he is good. I mean, I personally... Walter Ledengast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, my, my favorite, I mean, aside from Bruno S, but my favorite performer in this film was Clemens Scheitz or Scheiz, I believe. I think we're on the same, is that the town, uh, scribe? Yes. Clemens yeah. Scheitz as the scribe, who's a great character. And he, he of course is, is in Strosek as well. He plays Strosek's like uncle, is it? Or something yeah. like that. In Wisconsin yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I love that character too. Because it's like this this guy who spends all his time like following around the town like authority figures writing down everything that they say. <laughs> and, you know, there's a great to me, what was the like sort of dry humor here is that so in, early in the film, Kaspar is left in the town square holding this letter that his captor slash father or whatever has left him with. And when they they bring him in and it's addressed to this military captain. So the military captain reads the letter. And the, the the town scribe or whatever is like transcribing the letter, which is already written down <laughs> as the <laughs> captain reads it aloud. And he keeps pausing like, did you get that? Did you get that? Like, it's literally written right there. We don't need to write yeah. it again. Yeah, he did do a lot of like, they, they would be like, well, 
maybe we could bring him to the captain. And then he would be like, bring him to the captain. Yes, bring him to the captain. Right. And then like he would just and he would always be like, my report is going to be so thorough that nobody will ever be able to question. You know, he was he was very committed to getting this report done. Yes, yes. And he was very excited about it. And 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 he, you know, he has he's I feel like almost more than any other character aside from Casper himself, he's throughout the whole movie. I mean, we see him there toward the beginning and he's like the last person we see at the end of the movie after he's written his report on Casper's death. And I thought that little, I mean, there we go. Spoiler alert, guys. Yeah, uh, for a real from historical the, figure. From from the 1820s. So, um, you know, um, at the end, the captor comes back and apparently murders him, we think. Yes. And I thought the end of the movie was going to be like Casper telling that story where like nobody knows it. And then they have that little add on where that's like you where they're doing um, an autopsy and oh, he's. Uh, brain was uh formed differently and this and and that was a little weird to me that little um last three minutes of like oh this this explains a lot like i didn't know what that was really there for but you know hey that's fine yeah i mean i agree with you that it seemed like that scene where and it had been building to that where casper talks about the story which is must be one of his dreams or whatever where he's like i know the beginning but i don't know the rest and the professor admonishes him at the time like well you don't tell the story unless you know the end and then finally when he's on the his deathbed they say go ahead tell us the story it does seem like the nice moment to end it on but i think the part of the point maybe of that scene where you're saying like they're they're all like oh this explains everything i think is the idea of it it has to be explained from these people's perspectives like casper has to have an explanation we have to be able to say oh his brain was formed strangely. And that 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 accounts for why he was so weird. Like right, he can't not just, the fact that he was in a dungeon for 17 years or whatever. Or he can't just be like an enigma. You know, it can't just be like something strange that exists in the world. Well, I guess that's, you know, I look at it as the nature versus nurture type thing. And, you know, they're taking the nature uh, argument, which you're saying. And I, I think the nurture had a lot to do with it. Right, right. I'm not arguing in favor of one or another, but I think what Herzog is showing is the the sort of need for people to have explanations for everything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And all, all these years later, now we have ending explained videos on YouTube for every movie. Yeah. So. Where was the... Have you, did you find one for this, Dave? <laughs> no, I didn't look. That would be but... amazing. <laughs> but I mean, Casper Hauser, the real person, has been the subject of all of these investigations over the years. And, you know, the speculation that he was some sort of secret royal heir that they were trying to get rid of, or the idea that this was all like a con and that, you know, all the way up to his death where he says he was stabbed by the person who held him captive. But in fact, maybe really he stabbed himself to kind of get attention and did it, you know, deeper than he meant to and ended up dying. So, I mean, there continues to be a fascination with explaining who this guy really was and what was his deal. I mean, you could also understand if he did if he did want to commit suicide, he oftentimes said how, you know, the noise of other people, uh, you know, was ruining his head, so to speak, or he didn't he couldn't really acclimate as well as he tried. Right. Or certainly not as well as as sort of the people around him might have wanted. I mean, there's that scene where the English nobleman comes to town and is going to like adopt Casper as his protege. And as soon as Casper does something too weird, he's like, no, nope, forget it. I'm out. I'm done. Right. Right. Or, uh, you know, um, and that what was interesting about that scene is when like Casper goes to the other room to like take a rest. He's like, 
shall I regale you of my tales of my trip to Greece? And it's like the 1800s. So like they're, oh, yes. And it's like the skies were blue and the sands were gold. And everyone is just so, you know, enthralled by that, which is obviously a different time period. Um, but what about the scene I thought was um, where the the guy, it was Casper and the housemaid and the man, uh, he might have been a religious man or might not have been. He was like, there's only one way to find out if Casper understands logic. And he gives him this riddle. And it's a very, you know, long riddle. And he explains how the answer uh, works. And then Casper comes up with a totally different answer that works equally as well. And he's like, no, 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 that cannot be the answer. Only our answer can be the answer. Yeah, that guy, I think, is meant to be like a professor of logic or mathematics or something. And there's another scene where he's similarly uh, berated by by a pastor or a priest or something. But yeah, that's a that's a great scene. And What's even better is, you know, he presents this logic problem and his answer is very convoluted. You know, it's very like, if then this and, you know, if X, then Y and that kind of stuff. And the housemaid is like, well, I don't understand your answer, but I understand Casper's answer. And right. the professor's like, it's not about understanding and logic and math. We don't understand things. We deduce things. And it was, I mean, it was a little on the nose, but it was a very amusing. Right, thing. right. He just found a basic answer instead of doing A to B to C to D to E to get there and whatnot. And that that is unacceptable. Right, right. Um, and right, there's that other scene then where he's being sort of similarly interrogated by this priest who's asking him about God and they they seem to want to prove that even isolated from the world and from knowledge about religion, that Casper would have had some sense of the higher power. And he's like, nope. And they cannot accept that. Hmm. Uh, I, I want to ask Dave, why did, uh, you, you know, I don't know how you, how you felt Josh was going to like this, but you did say you thought I was going to hate this. What was uh -huh. the reasoning behind that? Yeah. I think that I thought that you would be kind of turned off by the pacing of just it's this guy going through these these series of interacting with people, but not necessarily a lot happening, you know, plot wise. And I, I think I just thought that you would be turned off by that kind of a structure for this. Yeah, I uh, I like things where not a lot of things happen. I mean, you know, I sure. love those link letters, sure. walk and talk movies and everything. So it just uh, yeah, just uh, I don't know. I thought this one was I wasn't I almost was like, huh, maybe it's time. Because, you know, I've had a lot of uh, depression issues lately, a lot of stuff going on. So I was like, huh, maybe this one's if Dave thinks I'm going to hate it this much, maybe it's time to get a guest host in here. Maybe it's too much for me to handle. But I'm glad I watched it and I, I liked it. So. Oh, we don't want anyone else in here. Jason. That's right. We want your perspective, whatever, whatever personal uh, circumstances are influencing it. We want to hear it. Did you think that Josh would just... Uh, delve into it and be like, yes, the, the meaningless or of everything is what I relate to. <laughs> the real question is whether or not either of you would have liked it more or less than Strosek. I liked Strosek a lot more than either of you, I remember. Um, yeah, I like this more, like I was saying, I thought I liked this more than Strosek. I felt like it, not that I loved this necessarily. I mean, it is a bit scattered still, but I felt like this had a better focus and was, was keeping my interest more in this, this guy and what was going to happen to him. Mm. I think I like Strozek more, but we saw that one first. And like, that's the, my first impression of Bruno S. So like, that'll stick with me, you yeah. know, but had I seen this first, I might've been like, wow, this guy is such a mesmerizing presence. This is the one I like more, but Hey, they're both uh, good films. Yeah. yeah, they are. And I mean, I think it's fascinating The you know, I'm not familiar that much with these earlier narrative 
Herzog films. I mean, when we when we talked about Les Blank and I've seen Burden of Dreams, but I still haven't seen like Fitzcarraldo, which is the movie that Burden of Dreams is about. And that's a well-known early uh, Herzog film. But I think these films are always fascinating because you can see the origins of a lot of that Herzog persona and the perspective that we get from him in these documentaries where he himself is such a strong presence now. And, you know, that stuff really originated in these earlier films. Do you think we should rate this, Josh? Yeah, I feel like we should. I don't know if there's... I, I did want to highlight one other scene that I thought was fascinating, which is the the circus scene where... And if we want to talk about, like, society mistreating Casper, I feel like that's the number one scene where he has been... After he was sort of a burden on the town and the taxpayers, and they wanted to get him out of the like uh, jail or wherever it is they've been holding him and, you know, giving him room and board for free, he ends up in this circus. And we have this great sequence that is really kind of sad of all the like, quote, freaks in this circus, uh, including this uh, this like dwarf king who is played by an actor who starred in a previous Herzog film called Even Dwarfs Started Small, which I have not seen, but Helmut Doring was one of the stars of that film. Um, and we've got him and we've got this like, uh, I think they they say he's an an Indian who plays this sort of flute that he plays with his nose. And it's just a very bizarre, like sad spectacle, but also very amusing. So, I mean, that to me was one of the highlights of this movie as well. Did you feel like uh, certain comparisons to like the elephant man with some of this stuff? Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I actually haven't seen the elephant man, but um, that, that sounds right. I mean, a lot of the reviews that I read um, compared it to stuff like, Tarzan or the Jungle Book with, you know, these children who've been raised in the wild and then have to re-encounter civilization. That sounds a little basic. <laughs> All right. You're calling Pauline Kale basic. <laughs> I, I don't know. I do I mean this is I I don't know. Tarzan isn't a true story, is it? So, no. You no. know what I mean? Like this and the elephant man were based on true stories, yes, right? Yeah. So and correct. they were in a way, there was like a humanity, but in a way, they were both exploited. So right, you know, right. And I think of I don't know. I thought of well, this isn't a true story either. And this is later, but I thought of like uh, Room, the Brie Larson movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. where they're held captive, and the child has been raised for his, you know, the first six or eight or whatever years of his life, just in this one room, and he's got some Casper Hauser aspects to his personality. I think after they get out of there. Yeah, I thought of that as well. So, uh, yeah, you want to give this a rating, Jason? Sure. What are we rating it out of, Josh? I, I, I don't know. Five uh, mysterious letters? Um, sure. Yeah. Or uh, piano uh, solos? <laughs> sure, yes. Casper is an interesting uh, pianist at one point when he's kind of, put, again, put on display, and that's with the, the nobleman, I believe, right? And he tries to play the piano and gets overwhelmed. I will give it three, Josh, three piano solos. Yeah, I give it three as well. I did like it and we've been very positive about it. I feel like it's also still a bit scattered and there's just as many sequences where you're like, okay, sure. Um, And, you know, you can kind of go with it. But yeah, I I wasn't as captivated as I am by some Herzog movies, but it is good. So three for me. Dave, what would you say? I'm also going three, guys. All right. Well, we'll come back then in a moment and talk about the legacy of the Enigma of Caspar Hauser. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1975, we are talking about Cannes Film Festival award winner 
The Enigma of Caspar Hauser. And uh, we have talked a lot about Werner Herzog and his career when we, we discussed Strosek, as well as when we talked about Les Blank. So uh, I don't know how what else we want to say here, but I do feel like this movie is an early example of he's made so many movies about sort of like men with weird obsessions and single minded, you know, sort of slightly deranged people. And, you know, you can look at this movie and see uh, the, the echoes of it in movies going all the way out to like Rescue Dawn and Bad Lieutenant and stuff that came decades later. Josh, the last two, The Fire Within and Theater of Thought, you know, he's always talking about what is communication, what is purpose, what is humanity. Have you seen either of those two? No. And the Theater of Thought, which is his most recent movie, um, has just played festivals. I don't think it's actually been distributed widely yet. And I haven't seen, uh, what was the title of the other one before that? The Fire Within. Yeah, which is about the same, though, that couple who were the volcanologists that were the, the subject of that film Fire of Love that got a lot more attention. And Herzog happened to make a movie about the same subject at the same time. So I haven't seen that or Fire of Love for that matter, but I'd be curious. I've seen Fire of Love. It's good. But uh, I would like to see this as a comparison piece. Um, what, you know, speaking of those kind of like single minded obsession type people, um, what I had read is the thing that he's working on now, which we hope comes to pass. It's probably going to be like an Apple TV show or something, you know, for Hulu or whatever. Fordlandia, a powerful American automobile manufacturer named Henry Ford attempts to build a factory in the Brazilian rainforest. Is that a real thing? That yeah, happened? that's amazing. Yeah, I, I guess it's a real thing. That happened. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously that that brings to mind Fitzcarraldo. It brings to mind Aguirre. It sounds perfect for Herzog. Yeah, I mean, he's he's 80 years old now, but he still still seems to be going pretty strong. He doesn't seem like he's slowing himself down in any way. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I want all these guys to just ride out, you know, doing what they what they want to do. All the most of these people that a lot of these filmmakers we're talking about who are on their uh, last act right now. Yes, indeed. So do you have any other Herzog favorites that you uh, want to shout out? I, I, I think I mentioned it last time. I really liked Encounters at the End of the World, the one where he goes to Mikmildau yes. in, uh, in, the, uh, in Antarctica. And I, I think we all probably know Grizzly Man as like his most famed um, uh, documentary here in America. Yeah, those are both really good. And I recently watched, that was uh, just a couple years after this, his version of Nosferatu from 1979 with Klaus Kinski. And that movie is fantastic. And I feel like it actually captures a lot. I don't know if it was shot in some of the same places, but it has that same immersion that we were talking about related to like the locations and the set design where it's just like this complete other world of this like tucked away little German town and the weird people in it. And uh, it also has uh, the, the Nazi guy <laughs> um, who plays the professor in this film, the uh, Walter Ladengast. And Kinski, of course, is great in it. But it's a really fascinating... You wouldn't necessarily think that a vampire movie would be Herzog's, like, in his wheelhouse, but he it's great. I loved it. Yeah, and then he made the documentary about Klaus Kinski after Kinski's daughter came out and said that she was sexually abused by him, and he had to kind of do a referendum on his relationship with Klaus Kinski. I never saw that, did you? No, my best fiend is the name of that. And of course, Herzog and Kinski had that very complicated relationship. And as we've mentioned, I, I don't know, I keep bringing up Documentary Now, but there is a, a great uh, Herzog-inspired episode of Documentary Now in this most recent season that's a lot inspired by his relationship with Kinski and and what, what they show in Burden of Dreams. So um, 
check out documentary now of course yeah and watch a meat issue in the the short documentary yeah yeah that was on i think it was on criterion for a while i don't know if it still is but you can i'm sure you can find it somewhere (laughs) (laughs) uh we also talked about bruno s when we did our strosek episode and and this and strosek are essentially the extent of bruno's acting career uh he was in a handful of documentaries later in his life, but seemed to have kind of given up uh, being an actor and focused on his painting and his music. And I I don't know, just living his weird little life, I guess. Yeah. uh, One thing I wanted to mention is um, (laughs) that we didn't talk about is like, and a lot of these seventies filmmakers really like shine here uh, showcasing landscape Mm -hmm. and like the beauty of nature and just kind of, I know, you know, uh, Herzog kind of utilized different techniques and maybe created some imaging uh, to showcase the landscape in um, softer or brighter ways. And I thought that was really effective in the movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it's something that draws you in immediately. I think one of the reviews, I didn't quote this part, but it begins with just this description of the opening shots of the film. And I think right away you get the sense of, Herzog as being in command of the tone and what he's trying to convey. And really, it, it puts you right in this other realm that you are not familiar with. And it, it's fascinating right from the beginning. What about this as like, um, you know, as far as its legacy, like on uh, directors working with like non-actors on on things like this? Like, it seems like a lot of like independent filmmakers that we talk about. Harmony Corinne, for example, last season, like love to use uh, non-actors in, in movies. And that's kind of a legacy here. Yeah. I mean, hasn't Herzog worked with Harmony Corinne? Isn't he in one of Harmony Corinne's movies? I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, Maybe in Julian Donkey Boy or I, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. 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 But certainly, I mean, as we're like, Jason was talking about Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Like that. Absolutely. That is a thing. And Herzog is seeking these people out. And, you know, in some cases he's making a documentary about them. And in some cases he's saying, I'm going to put you in my fiction film, but he's just always looking for these strange, interesting characters to put on screen in some way. Right. And he wants to blur the fiction and the reality of it as yeah. well. Yes. Yes, of course. Which we see more, I think, in Strosek when it's it's inspired by real things from Bruno S.'s life. Jason, you you mentioned the the pianist in this film, the blind pianist Florian Frick is the actor there, who's mainly a composer. He he composed the music for this film and worked on a bunch of other Herzog movies and um is not blind in reality. He was not. No. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, he was a composer who composed uh, music for multiple Herzog movies, including this one. So, you know, a longtime collaborator there as well. A bunch of actors in this film. We don't necessarily need to run through them all. I did note our our favorite Clemens Scheitz, who also worked with Herzog multiple times, is in Strosek and is in Nosferatu as well, the vampire movie that I mentioned. And it just has, it just like his face and the way he looks is so, you're immediately drawn to him, I feel like. I noted that Brigitte Mira, who I believe played the uh, housemaid, had multiple collaborations with Rainer Werner Fassbender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a major filmmaker that we haven't. I feel like we've discussed uh, potentially covering a few times and haven't quite fit that in, but an incredibly important and prolific German filmmaker. Yes. Casper um, Hauser, the story, who again was a real person has inspired multiple different interpretations. Um, I mean, I noted down there was another German film in 1993 that was kind of a bigger epic. There's a graphic novel from 2007, uh, a, a small independent film that kind of is very loosely inspired by him, it seems like, in 2012, starring Vincent Gallo. 
There are two operas about Caspar Hauser. So this is a story that continues to fascinate artists. Vincent Gallo seems like he would be the uh, the type of person who would gravitate towards this. Yes, I agree. And I feel like he's one that that would like seems like he would be on Herzog's wavelength. Like, I don't I don't think they've ever worked together, but I feel like they could or would. Maybe if there's a, a Buffalo 66 sequel, Josh. <laughs> I, don't I feel like Vincent Gallo has just been in hiding for the past decade or so. I don't know what he even uh, does. That anymore. sounds right. Also, yeah. <laughs> So uh, anything else you want to talk about on the legacy of this film, Jason? Uh, I, uh, I'm i going to just continue to breathe and get through it, baby. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. That's that's the way to way to do it. So, uh, yeah. So that is the enigma of Casper Hauser. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Check us out online and on social media. Find us <laughs> at... <laughs> All right, I'll just skip. Move on. <laughs> AwesomeMovieYear.com. Uh, awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or J. Harris Comedy on all those uh, fancy socials. You can also find me at Eat This Comedy or uh, EatThisComedy.com. Hey, bye. <laughs> I, you know, I love when you break out the unexpected impressions. It was like when suddenly you were doing Alan Arkin in our Argo episode and it was just perfect. So I, I love it. Thanks, buddy. Go for Jason on Letterboxd. Yeah. Check out uh, all that stuff. Uh, I uh, have some stuff at joshbellhateseverything.com. Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. And I actually just used the enigma of Casper Hauser as a puzzle piece on the Fool's Paradise episode. Mm. And follow us on social media at Piecing Pod. That is amazing. Really, <laughs> yeah. we're broadening Dave's horizon so What much. a win. Yeah. Did your did your uh guest on that one know the movie? Uh no, but uh but she brought up being there, which, you know, they both fit. So. Yeah. So Jason, what are we talking about in our next episode? Josh, we're going to the documentary. I've been looking forward to this one cuz I honestly think you could argue it's the greatest documentary ever made. It's Great Gardens, baby. I'm looking forward to that too cuz I have not seen it yet. So Tune in next time for Grey Gardens, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Howers. Howers? <laughs> it's a little baby. A, yeah. a great start to this episode. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> All right, there we go.